being dismissed, I'll remind you all that um, we are looking for a team of volunteers who will uh, help uh, in our reorganizing our children's church. Uh, um, what we are doing is we're looking for teams of two. So it could be a husband and wife. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It could be a couple friends in our church. You could just sign up as an individual and say, hey, I, place me with somebody, but, but we're looking for, 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 for eight, at least eight teams of two, and see if we could do this, then, then, then only once a month about would, would you have to serve in children's church, and, and then y'all could even rotate who was the primary teacher or facilitator each month, and so it could just be that you're, you're there uh, once a month, and then every other month you're actually having to uh, you know, facilitate. And so, um, so that's what we're hoping to get at least eight uh, teams. Now, just know how this works out. If we have more people who say oh, they'll do it, then that, that means that you have to do it less time. And here's the deal. I know y'all are probably going like, well, you're trying to make this really easy for us. We are, we are. But, but here's the deal. Your schedules are full. We get that. We get that your schedules are full. Um, we are the busiest society on the face of the planet that this world has ever known. And uh, we, we know that not, not only do you have full schedules, Sunday might be the only day off that you really have from all the busyness. And so, um, and so we don't want every, you know, we don't want, if we have people that say, I want to do it every Sunday, that's fine. But we want to give an opportunity for people to serve and then also to come in and be fed. Here, here's another thing about this is one thing that we've learned with we had Miss Deborah who could do it all. She wrote the lessons. <laughs> she she got the crafts together. She prepared the crafts. She prepared the lessons. She was able to send it out to everybody. And we said, hey, we're not really going to find somebody who's who can replace and do everything that she did. But but also what we found is that's probably not the healthiest way for us to go forward. That's not very sustainable, is it? Because if she's gone, then it's all gone. And so if we have a team of people that, that gather around, and we believe in this idea of like leading through teams, if we, have, if, we, if we have more than just one person who all of it falls onto, then the, 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 the load is not only lighter, but it's also a wiser way forward for sustainability. And, um, and so uh, I, I, I present that to you for you to pray about, for you to think about. Maybe the Lord wants you to help in the discipleship of the children of Friends of Baptist Church. And uh, you would be willing, um, you and your spouse would be willing, uh, you and your, you know, your friend in church, or you just as an individual go, hey, listen, I'm going to meet somebody new. And they're going to become my, my teammate in this. And so uh, y'all prayerfully consider this. Um, I, 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 here's the thing also that's on my heart is, like Jesus said, you know, allow the little children to come unto me. Right? And we could go, man, yeah, we want the little children to get, get to him. You get to participate in actually bringing them, right? You, you don't get to be the one who's holding them back, the bad disciple there. You get to be the good disciples that are, that are bringing them, setting them in Jesus' lap, letting them get to know the captain of their salvation. With that, we're about to turn to the word. And what I want us to do is think about what we've been singing about this morning, we have a good God who has done so much for us, who is worthy to be blessed, worthy to be honored. 
And the fact of the matter is, is this good God works in this world with not so good individuals, namely you and me, as well as others. And so as we come through the text today, we're coming so that we can learn more about our Lord, his grace, his mercy, his wisdom, his unyielding uh, his unyielding persistence in working and revealing himself through people like you and me. This morning, let's just bow before him, seeking him that he might open up our, our minds and our hearts and activate our lives through what we hear and say today. Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. I do pray and I acknowledge, as I prayed even earlier today, what is man that you are mindful of us? Why is it that you use us, Lord? Why are you so persistent in revealing your image through us, crooked image bearers? We don't know. But we are thankful, Lord. We recognize this to be true. And we're grateful. And yet, also, Lord, sometimes we're a little overwhelmed at the responsibility of it all. But then we're reminded that, Lord, even though you're, you're being revealed through us, it is the might and the power and the wisdom of your spirit to work. Even when we try to mess it up, That's what's so amazing about you, Lord. Is that you've given us the tools to get it right. But you don't rely on us to get it right. Lord, you come. And you make even our failures straight. That's the only something that you can do. And we thank you for that. We acknowledge that. But Lord, as people who want to get it right, we come to you and we ask that you would equip us. You would strengthen us. You would not only give us the wisdom, the skill that we need to do right, Lord, that you would also equip our, our, our spirit against our flesh that will tempt us to do wrong. And we pray and we ask that, Lord, as we come before you, that you would Build us up, as it were, so that we can go out of this place revealing your image through the power of your spirit, letting your name be known. And Lord, we pray all these things in the mighty, resurrected name of Jesus. Everybody say it with me. Amen. Amen. So, 38 years old, right? I told my friend the other day, I said, to my 25-year-old self, 38 seems a little old. Now, some of y'all, y'all are going, 38, that's nothing, because you're really old. And <laughs> you, you're like, I remember that at one point, right? Now, I think about this, my 60-year-old my self will look back at 38 and be like, oh, that was young. 
<laughs> my 60-year-old self will miss my 38-year-old knees, right? My 38-year-old hips, uh, you know, I want to be doing, and me and my friends talk about this, we, we work out every morning, 5 a.m., uh, or most mornings at 5 a.m. throughout the week. Huh? Yeah, I had to talk about it. I, quota. Uh, but our desire is that we do this into our 60s, we, that we have this group that we can keep going. And, um, and I like that. You need the kind of a, a community to push you on in that way. But I'm sure that even if we're doing it at 60 years old, I'm probably not going to be doing as fast or uh, as strong as I am today. You know, and I know, that whatever vantage point you're looking at something, it frames your perspective about it. So mine was an age this week because I've been thinking about what it means to be 38. And you know what it means? I'm 38. That's it. But from the vantage point of my younger self, whoa, 38. From the vantage point of my older self, my future self, 38. <laughs> How we, where we're coming from when we look at something frames it up for us. It, 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 it informs us about that thing. I want us to think about vantage point this morning because, because vantage point has a, has a really particular, um, because of one's vantage point, the whole story that we're going to study unfolds. And here's a thought that I have about this story. We've read this story from a certain vantage point that we might have some things a little unclear. So what story are we talking about today? We're talking about the story of David and Bathsheba. See, we're in this series called Jesus' Mothers because in Matthew's genealogy, whenever he's giving the genealogy of Jesus, he names five women. And these five women are, their, their stories have scandal around them. Uh, some of these women are foreign women. Right? Ruth was a Moabite, and she's Jesus' great-great-great-grandmother. And so what we wanted to do is we, well, we started this out on Mother's Day and we were like, hey, look, there's these mothers of Jesus, right? And his genealogy and, and their stories are preserved. And, and what we've really kind of said is like all throughout the, 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 the stories, we've kind of come, I, I think what we're saying today is we could set it about all of them. Whatever our vantage point was, it wasn't fully clear. And so we've been trying to kind of like, you know, know them in their context, know their story in its context, be a, a little bit more informed about who they are, maybe learning their plight. And, and then also what we've been doing is going like, hey, look, this is how they reveal God to us, the gospel to us, and they reveal Jesus to us. 
And so we're going to continue today with Bathsheba. Now, what was Bathsheba doing when David saw her? Anybody want to uh, let us know what Bathsheba was doing whenever David saw her? She was bathing. Where was Bathsheba bathing? Let's check that. Let's check that. We're going to read the story of David and Bathsheba. And we're going to see right here, there's a vantage point. And we've read it from a different vantage point. 2 Samuel chapter number 11 is where we find our story today. And um, I will have to say, though it's story time, this is not one of those this is not one of those fairy tale stories. Like much of scripture is not a fairy tale story. This is one of those hard reality stories. In fact, in the, in the narrative of David's life, in 1 and 2 Samuel, covered much of the narrative of David's life. Much of 1 and 2 Samuel is about David's life. This is the first time that David is not the hero. He's been told, and every story up to this, it was how, 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 how honorable and noble David was, even at times whenever he was in great desperation, whenever he was stressed to the max, whenever he lost everything. Up until this point in the story, David has been the hero, and all the stories read like David is the hero. And this story is to come in, and to tell you, although David was a great man, David was a man. Second Samuel chapter 11 says, And it came to pass that after the year was expired, so one year ended, a new year began, at the time when kings go forth to battle, this would have been springtime. They usually didn't go to war during the winter months. They would wait until spring and summer and go to, go to war. Uh, that David sent Joab and his servants with him. So David sent his armies, sent the captain of his armies, and he sends all of Israel. And it says, and they destroyed the children of Ammon, and they besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. David did not go out to battle. Now this could have been because David had been to a lot of battles. And there is another place in, in the text where it says that people had counseled David, you don't need to go out to battle anymore. So sometimes we read a lot into this text, but all it's telling us right here at this point is them's the facts. Right? We don't need to read anything more into it. Just this is what happened. This is why David was back in Jerusalem. This is where David was whenever his army was out. Now, if we're going to put David at an age here, you're probably thinking about 45 to 50 years old. All right? Sometimes we only have David, the little boy, who slung stones at a giant, or slung a stone at the giant in our mind. And we forget that he grew up. He became a man. He became a hard man through war and through the realities of life. David, while his armies were away, he was at home. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed 
and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, everybody say, and from the roof. From the roof. He saw a woman washing herself. The woman was very beautiful to look upon. Let's just pause there for a minute. Where was she at? We don't know where she was at. She wasn't on the roof, though. Who was on the roof? Now, there's these big, beautiful homes right across the street. Every day, I pull into our parking lot. I whip around the the, the parking lot, like on two wheels. I try to do it. Uh, If y'all ever see black streaks in there, it's not the kids. It's not the kids. I like to do my burnouts now. I'm just joking. Uh, But but I whip around, and I, I pull my car right up and I see this big, the back of this big, beautiful house. And there's a brick, beautiful brick fence. I mean, that fence is amazing. It's, that's it's not a brick, that's stone. I remember watching them because uh, they, they built that fence in 2007, 2008. I remember watching them, you know, work at that. Skilled, skilled craftsmen put that thing together. And there's this big stone fence. I can see the top of a net that I know is for a trampoline. I know that they have dogs because every now and then I'm out and and I hear them, uh, you know, uh, taking the dogs out and the dogs running around playing. And I know that people live there because sometimes I can see the tops of those people's heads from across the street over the fence. I don't know really what their yard looks like, and I don't know what their house looks like, but y'all know what? I'm close enough that if I climbed up here, got on the peak of our roof, which I've been up there a few times, and uh, I'm I, at 38, I'm too old for it now, all right? There was a time whenever I could do that. Now I can't. Now my, I get weak knee just thinking about it. So pathetic. So pathetic. But I could go up there, and I bet you I could... I could look down into their backyard. Now, and I could probably draw an outline in a diagram of it. What I know, too, is like their windows, like on the back of their house, except for like some of the bedroom windows, it's open. I could probably, on a night where they had the lights on, I could probably tell you what they were doing in their room. Now, that's creepy, isn't it? So I'm not going to go any further. But that's the vantage point that David had. Now, why is this important? Because there's a lot of speculation that happens if we find out that Bathsheba was on the roof. Well, why would she be so lewd? So suggestive. Correct me if I'm wrong, but probably most of you have read the story or were taught the story, and and what you've heard in the telling of the story is that it wasn't just David who sinned, but that Bathsheba sinned as well. Has anybody ever heard anything other than that? Are we people of the text? 
Are we informed first and foremost by the text? We are. Then we're going to continue reading the story, and you tell me where this story implicates Bathsheba at all in the text. So, David saw her. She is very beautiful to look upon. Verse 3 says, And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers. And I'm just going to supply the name here. And David took her, and she came in unto him, and David lay with her. Why could he do this at this point? Because she was purified from her uncleanness. And she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived. And she sent and told David, I am with child. Who saw who? David saw her. Who asked about who? Who sent and got who? Now, at any juncture in our reading of the text, is Bathsheba implicated? Now, some of you will say, well, she had a choice. Now, let's ask some questions. Not only are we informed by the text, we have to be informed by the historical context. And in this historical context, David is what? Bathsheba is what? She's subject to the king. At, the, at, at one juncture. Now you tell me. You read this text knowing who David is. Knowing that, in, that they don't live in, you know, in the free world of America. And you tell me whether or not Bathsheba had a choice in the matter, textually, historically. Possibly. She could have. And now let's think about this. What were her choices? I say no to the king and what happens to me? She'd be dead? So maybe some people make some choices that are very hard choices to make. That we could all sit there and say, flatly, it was wrong. And there would be no denying that. But she might have felt like in the moment that was the only choice that could have been made. See, this world is nuanced, isn't it? Life's not black and white. And it's not even gray. It's full and living color. And however we read the story affects what we understand and take from the story. And what we've done so often, I fear, is we've read the story to say somehow Bathsheba was wrong. 
And we will also say that David was wrong. But there have been people who've not only said that Bathsheba was wrong, but they've gone, well, what was she doing up on that roof? Was she trying to seduce David? Y'all know why she was cleansing herself? We should know this from the text. Why was she cleansing herself? The end of the month. <laughs> the end of the month. Thank you, Brother Mike. <laughs> it's so true. Uh, I love it, though. Uh, I'll stop asking questions. <laughs> I, I'll find my lesson. <laughs> She was doing her purification ritual. This was to keep her ritually clean. So what was Bathsheba doing? Was Bathsheba doing anything lewd in this? No, she was doing a ritual purification ceremony. Orthodox Jews still do it to this day. She was preparing her body. And ceremonially, ritually, not physically, but ritually cleansing herself so that she could go before the Lord at that point would have been at the tabernacle to worship. I do want us to see one other thing out of the text. We know what happens from there on. David concocts a plan. He's going to get Uriah home. He's going to get Uriah home, and he's going to say, hey, you know what? You need a night off. Go see your bride. Go have a good night. And Uriah, he's an honorable man in this. <laughs> I don't know what's being said there. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, Miss Kim just held up a sign back there, so I'm sorry. So Uriah, uh, David concocts a plan, gets Uriah home. Uriah is, proves the honorable man. David even gets Uriah drunk from that wine that's not fermented in the Bible, but he gets Uriah drunk somehow, magically. And, um, and then Uriah still was an honorable man. This is amazing. I mean, this, the story is told in great dramatic fashion, and we can't miss the drama of the story. The intrigue of the story. And David, willing to try to right his wrong, what he wanted to happen was he found out that Bathsheba was pregnant and he wanted it to look like Uriah did it. And then he would be fine. Uriah doesn't play the part, and so then David has Uriah sent to the front lines of battle. He gives his captain of his armies specific instructions to get David into a place um, to get Uriah into a place where Uriah will be murdered, killed on the battlefield. It will look like he was killed on the battlefield, but he, it's really a plot for murder. So then, nobody knew this except for some servants, Bathsheba, David, and Joab. But the Lord knew. The Lord wanted some accountability. Interesting. God's about accountability. So he said, verse 12, 2 Samuel 12, it says, The Lord sent Nathan unto David. Nathan the prophet came to him, and Nathan tells him a story. He said, There were two men in one city. 
One was rich and the other was poor. The rich man had exceeded many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, and it did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup. Now just think about this. This is a beloved pet. This is like an animal. This is like your cat or your dog or your squirrel. Whatever you have, right? This was a beloved pet. Nothing weird about that. We know. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to trust for the wayfaring man that was to come. But he took of the poor man's lamb, and he dressed it for the man and that was come to him. And here's David's response. Before the story's even finished, he's angry. His blood is boiling. How could this happen? Get me the name of this guy. We're going to put his, we're, we're, we're going to make him pay for what he's done. And Nathan says, thou art the man, David. You want to know his name? It goes like this, D-A-V-I-D. Usually when we read the story that Nathan tells, I think we have in our mind, because it's talking about two men, and something was stolen from the other, we think, oh, the two men, and, and Bathsheba was stolen from uh, Uriah. And that is possible, and that's a good reading of the text. Again, what I want you to see here, who's implicated? Thou art the man. For one, the other thing that I want us to consider is this. Maybe David is the rich man and Bathsheba is the poor man. And it was her lamb, her husband, that was taken from her. And killed. Either way, who's implicated? Who does the text indict? David sinned, and whose life whose lives were affected? Everyone's, right? Let's think about Bathsheba now from a new vantage point. Let's think about Bathsheba, not the seductress. Sashaying on the roof. But let's think about Bathsheba as the woman who was called into the king's quarters. And she knew what she was called into the king's quarters for. And even if she did have a choice to be consensual after that fact, we're not guaranteed that, that that's even the case. But even if she did, what a choice what choice does she really have to make? And why is she put in this place? Think about this. Was Bathsheba doing anything wrong? 
She was ritually purifying herself. Tell, tell, tell me what we're getting from this story then. We're getting somebody who was innocent because of the lust and the desire and the sin of another. They now have to bear their sin for the rest of their life. Does that not sound like the gospel of Jesus? We should see the gospel of Jesus in the life of Bathsheba. That's a good vantage point. The bad vantage point is for us to implicate Bathsheba. That's a bad vantage point from the source of the text. Not just because I think it's a bad vantage point. The text only leads us to one conclusion. David had some things on his mind. David did not make the right choice. David made choices that stole and killed. And there was a wake left in David's path. And Bathsheba was one of the ones who is left to bear what David did. She's left to bear the child. And then she's left to bear the grief of the child because the child died. She's left to bear the grief of a husband who was honorable. More honorable than David at this moment. I've been told I have two minutes. I love y'all, so we'll wrap it up. Because I'm an honorable man, and I'm not going to let my pride get affected by that. <laughs> Just joking. So, the gospel we can see in the life of Bathsheba. I said it a few weeks ago, and I think it bears repeating. I think when we come to these stories of people who are on the underneath side of things, not the people from the position of affluence and power and influence, but the people who are on the margins. When we read their stories, we're reminded we are not just sinners. Sin happens to us. We bear the marks, the pain, the bruises, the trauma of others and their failure. Sometimes, sometimes in this world, you are doing everything faithfully correct. Like Bathsheba was doing when she was bathing. And some pervert looks at you crooked. And they want to satisfy the desires of their own flesh. And they don't think about you. And they objectify you. And they steal from you. And they kill things inside of you. That happens. And you have to bear it. And here's what we learn from Jesus. Not merely that he bore our sin, but we learn from him how we can bear sin of others. And how does Jesus do it? 
He does it with such grace that you and I are trying to grasp onto. He doesn't say it's not wrong. Well, it wasn't really wrong for David because he's king. He doesn't say it wasn't wrong. He says, but Bathsheba had to bear it. He doesn't excuse, justify, defend David. You know what he does? He holds David accountable. But look at Bathsheba. Again, not only from this story, but from the end of her story. What we find at the end of Bathsheba is later on in Bathsheba's life, at the end of David's life, Nathan, the prophet, is trying to fix a situation that one of David's sons has created. One of his sons has heralded himself king, and he wasn't to be the king. And so Nathan goes, I need a trusted advisor to go talk to the king. And who does he go find? Bathsheba. In 1 Kings chapter number 2, there's just also this wonderful, beautiful picture or chapter 3, where, uh, where after Solomon becomes king, Bathsheba's son Solomon becomes king. Somebody has a request of the king and they say, we know he won't say no to you. Not just because she's his mom, either. We shouldn't think with such sentiment in the world of monarchy, in the Game of Thrones. You don't think of such sentiment. And, and here's what it says. It says that, they came and they, they, they set a chair at the right hand of the king's throne and there Bathsheba sat. So here's what I want to say. One thing that we see in Jesus is that he bears the sins of others patiently. Patiently. Patiently means he waits for justice. And patiently, and on the lips of Jesus, is he prays for their forgiveness. Now, here's the deal that's hard. Please do not hear me say this. If you've ever been the victim, of some sexual assault that you don't need to seek the authorities. You do. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. If it ever happens at this church, we better go to the authorities. You better not try to sweep it under the rug. If it happens of me, you better not say, well, we're just going to give them another opportunity. You better take me and hold me accountable. When we talk about bearing it patiently, though, we go through the right channels because people do need to be held accountable, but also we check our hearts. And our hearts should be a place where God's grace is cultivating us to be agents of grace. And mercy. Jesus didn't just bear our sins. He taught us 
how to bear the sins of others because all of us bear the sins of others. What he teaches us as he bears the sins of others is to do it patiently and with a heart of grace. And my brothers and my sisters, we not only learn this from Jesus, but we also learn it from Bathsheba. When we view her story from a better vantage point. I think this is the moment of reflection for me is what sins of others are you bearing? Because you are. There's hurt, there's trauma. There's injustice that has happened to you. There was neglect or there was beatings. Somebody made choices and you were affected by them. And the gospel doesn't say, well, that doesn't really matter. The gospel says it matters a whole heck of a lot. We know it matters because it mattered to Jesus. And so here's what I would say. First thing that we could do is just bring those to the Lord and say, this is what it is, Lord. Name it for what it is. And Lord, I need to know how to bear it like your son Jesus. Because I'm a disciple of Jesus. And I follow him in all things. I don't just follow him in not, not hurting others. Period. But I follow him in learning how to deal with the hurt of others. And for that, we're looking to the Lord and we're saying, lead us. Lead us. Minister to us. Amen? Amen? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Take, take a moment. What is it? What is it? What is the hurt that you're bearing? We live in a world that might, for some people, they say it defines you wholly. You can never arise out of it. Bathsheba tells us different. She didn't let it define her whole life. She rose out of it different. Uh, some people in this world, they want to say, well, you know, it, it shouldn't really matter. That was what somebody else did. You just buck up and you move on. But that's not what we get in the text. That's not the message that we get from our God. Our God says, I care about you. I love you. I want to hear what hurts you. We also know that our Lord says, I don't want it to cripple you. I don't want it to cripple you physically, emotionally, spiritually. And I have grace for you to bear it well. And so this morning, will you go to the Lord? Taking whatever it is that you need to take to him today. Seeking his grace to bear. To bear it like a disciple of Christ.
if you're still praying, you just spend some time with the Lord, but I'm going to pray over us today. Then we'll sing a closing song. But like I said, if you need to pray and you just need to sit there and sit in this for a few minutes, you sit there and sit in this for a few moments. If you need somebody else to pray with, seek out a brother or sister. Lord, God, I come to you right now and I confess this. I confess that for so long, We've denied that we bear the sins of others. We've hid from that reality. And then, Lord, there's this counter, this counter against that that says that if we're bearing the sins of others, we're crippled. We're ruined. We're destroyed by their sin. We can't move forward. And, Lord, that's not the truth either. truth is is with you Lord from you not only through prayer but through good godly counsel therapy strength of community of the church Lord all the gifts that you give us Lord there is a way that we can come before you with our heart that we are bearing and we can receive grace grace to bear it like Jesus, Lord. So God, I pray and I ask that you would help us to come before you, to receive from you the grace that we need to bear the hurt of others. And then, Lord, I pray this. I pray that we will be mindful because as we go out from this place this week, we'll remember. We'll remember that our actions, our decisions affect the lives of others. That our lust, our desire for vengeance, it's not just satisfying our own selves, Lord, it's affecting others. And might we be mindful that we don't put any sin on anybody else that they have to bear, Lord. Yeah, God, I pray. I pray that you would be with us, that you would help us to receive your word. I pray that you would go with us as we go from this place this week. I pray that this week, Lord, we will look like Jesus. We will look like Jesus in in ceasing from sin and we will look like Jesus in bearing the sin, the hurt, the pain of others, Lord. I pray these things in the mighty, resurrected name of Jesus. And everybody say with me, amen. 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 In just a moment, we're going to stand and be dismissed with one final song. I have a great announcement, though, for the church that I want you all to know. Um, Over the last couple months, we've been talking to a church um, they, they approach us. It's a Spanish-speaking ministry um, called uh, Zoe Vida, or Vida Zoe. However you say it in Spanish, it means uh, something. Um, <laughs> Zoe means life. Uh, Vida. Zoe means abundant. It's abundant life. That's it. All right. Sorry. My brain just collapsed on me right now. All right. (laughs) They approached us and said, 
we're a, you're a young church and we're looking for a space to meet. And, um, and like us, they're an independent church. Uh, they don't have Baptist in their name, uh, but that's all right by me. Um, and by our congregation, I know. But they uh, love the Lord. They believe in salvation by grace through faith. It's not of works, lest any man is done. They believe in discipleship. And so on Sundays, uh, at 1 p.m., they're going to have their worship services in this space. And uh, it's a way for our church to be impacting the lives of others. And uh, so we're excited about this. They're going to start uh, worshiping next Sunday, uh, June 6th. And uh, I wanted to let you all know about that for two reasons, that we celebrate it. We pray for them. But then also this. You got to get out of here. All right. <laughs> we need to have a hard out by like 1145. All right. From now on. Um, and so, uh, so we'll, we'll work to do that. And I know what y'all are saying. That's not on us, buddy. <laughs> Shut up. All right. God bless you. <laughs>